Hello and welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up deep, close, and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. Today's episode is with Deathsea. Deathsea is an accomplished, limited specialist and Magic Arena streamer. He can be found streaming at twitch.tv slash Deathsea. In case you have not had the chance already, you can always go back and listen to my original episode with Deathsea for Humans and Magic, which was done a couple years ago. We went deep into his origin story, backstory, but I think this was a really fun episode because we've gotten to know each other better over the years. And we just started having kind of a catching up conversation because he's Deathsea's been all over the world over the last couple of years. And we're also talking about the art of content creation. I mean, we're getting very meta, right? We're going deep into the content creation ecosystem, what it means to do that, the pros and cons, mental health, all kinds of interesting stuff. So if you're a content creator or even just someone who admires the art of making content, I think this is going to be a fun episode to listen to, even if it is a little philosophical in parts. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Detsy. I also have an exciting announcement to make. That's right, Humans of Magic is now on YouTube. I finally added the visual component of this podcast to number one video platform on the internet, and that is YouTube. So please find Humans of Magic on YouTube. Please subscribe. Please get notifications for new videos. Do all that stuff. I think it's going to be a fun journey. I finally picked up a little bit of courage and knowledge to do the visual component of the podcast. We're going to do some fun stuff in addition to getting the full episodes like the one you're listening to. I'm also going to be experimenting with vlogs, experimenting with shorter clips. So I think it's going to be a fun time. You can find the link in the show notes or on my link tree. Please go check it out. I think it's going to be fun. Please leave a comment, like, subscribe, do all that stuff that YouTubers want you to do. I'm now a YouTuber. Please also follow Humans of Magic on the other social platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find all the accounts on Humans of Magic, one word, on those platforms. And of course, you can still get Humans of Magic in all the usual places, all the podcasting platforms. If you're listening to this now, that means you're on it. Please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And if you're interested in supporting Humans of Magic directly, please head on to my Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Especially with the weekly releases and the YouTube content that I'm now putting out, every little bit of support goes a long way. If you join the Patreon, you can get access to our exclusive Discord community and we can chat. You can give me feedback. So if Patreon is a good time, please consider joining if you haven't already. All right, man. So Vincent, Detsy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been quite a while. I'm glad to be back on. Thank you for having me, James. It's awesome to have you back on. I am not bullshitting you. I think your episode is in the top 10 all time. I just have people just say I've enjoyed the Death Sea episode randomly. It's not just, uh, you know, Melissa DeTora who tweeted about this recently, but it's like 
I've started asking people, just listeners, what are you into? And your name always comes up in the list. So I'm, I got to say, it's not purely altruistic reasons that I want to get you back on the show, right? It's about the uh, hashtag engagement. No, I'm just kidding. I, I really like <laughs> I really like talking to you, man. So it's good to have you. It's good to have you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I'm quite surprised as well, because sometimes I wonder just how much viewers care about like the real the real life stuff, you know? Because uh, a lot of streaming and content creation, it's supposed to be kind of like, you know, you're the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain and people don't really want to find you behind the curtain because that kind of ruins that that fantasy that um, that is the Wizard of Oz. So, um, yeah, I'm always happy to be able to come on here because uh, I get to talk about things that there is no real other place to talk about those things. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's. Uh... This is a topic that I know because you listened to uh, one of the recent episodes, like I'm super, super fascinated by this whole meta, you know, this, the person behind the stream or the, the meta, like the content creator behind the content creator. It's so fascinating to me because I feel like I sort of done the opposite of what a lot of you guys have been doing, which is, let me explain. For a lot of streamers and content creators, I feel like you start off with the content and you add bits and pieces of yourself to make it more interesting to the audience or maybe more acceptable because in real time, your chat or your audience is sort of indirectly telling you what you should be. Like you're sort of seeking ways to become something online. And I'm not saying that you're in, anybody's inauthentic. You just kind of like turn it up to 11 because it's like the normal Desi is probably like a six out of 10. But like the streaming death sees like 11 out of 10 in terms of excitement about something. We're talking about magic or whatever. We're drafting. And I feel like I'm sort of the a little bit different because when I initially started doing this podcast or even when we did the first episode was a few years ago, I always wanted to be a fly on the wall. I always wanted to be like a sterile faceless robot just asking questions. I, I used to think that if I did my job, you would not notice me. You would just be like, hey, that was an awesome death sea episode or monologue right like i would just be the person to draw out the answers and now just this is so meta right just me talking about myself is me <laughs> trying to be not that whereas i think a lot of content people start off in a different direction i'm kind of like learning this this is sort of like a weird way to say that i'm just a a late bloomer to everything including this whole content game whereas like for you guys you you're just like like probably from day one or maybe day 10, you have to, you have to figure out like how to put the artifice on. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that a lot about content creation is trying to not only find what people want to watch, but also a big part finding yourself as well. Um, and a lot of people go about it in different ways. Sometimes people want to be a person that is, or a person or personality that is completely different than their true self or who they are off off cam um for me i've embraced basically as you said the sort of 11 out of 10 version of myself um a person who maybe loves a little bit too much a person who hates a little bit too much depending on uh what the circumstance is uh and i think that that's a big part of it for me um it's definitely not the mainstream approach i think like the mainstream approach would just be all 
rainbows and butterflies, but uh, that's not that's not really something that I could sustain um, for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because it doesn't seem like that's sustainable, right? Like to be so unlike yourself, or is it just sort of like method acting where you just become that person where it doesn't matter anymore? I think it depends on how long you want to be doing this for and uh, (laughs) for how many hours a day you spend doing this. So one of my good friends recently, uh, she has stopped uh, IRL streaming and she, she was a very, very famous IRL streamer. Um, but one of the things about her is that her personality on stream is, I wouldn't say that it's not herself, but it's that sort of exaggerated version of herself. So, uh, you know, in a normal everyday life, she's like a really calm person, but for IRL streams, you know, you have to get out there, you have to be exciting, you have to be uh, almost like dumb and forgetful, right? So she really exaggerated that that part of herself. And uh, after a year, she completely burned out, um, even even though she had a very successful stream. Uh, so I think it all depends on the person. Um, for me, I want to be doing this a long time. I don't know how long. I definitely don't want to be doing it forever. But uh, it helps my mental health. It helps my day-to-day that I am who I am, even if it is an exaggerated version of myself sometimes. What is your vision for yourself in the future? I mean, how long do you plan to be streaming? Any ideas? I think it's a very weird thing because I feel like me, honestly, a lot of other streamers are like this as well, but uh, I feel just extremely overqualified <laughs> to be a streamer. Um, this is know, like the opposite of imposter syndrome, uh-huh. whatever it's called. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a very strange thing. Like I think about it a lot. I'm like, well, I could be doing a lot of stuff. I've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, every few times a year, uh, one of my friends who's like, uh, you know, making making 200, 300K in the Silicon Valley or something is mm-hmm. like, hey, Desi, come on my team. You know, like uh, we we could really use someone like you, um, mm-hmm. you know, w- working on our projects and stuff. Uh, and I'm just here. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'd rather just play video games for a much smaller amount of money, just scrape by instead. So it does seem weird. Um, not not really utilizing my master's degree from Atlanta School of Economics, which is like one of the best uh, one of the best economic schools in the world, allegedly. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I do like the freedom of streaming. I like being able to do what I want ultimately on my stream, whatever I say goes, uh, you know, the viewership might not always reflect that. Right. Um, but ultimately it's me doing what I want to do and it's other people, if they want to watch, then they're there to watch. And that's kind of how I like life to be. It's like, uh, essentially everybody doing what they want to do. And if paths cross, then, you know, we can enjoy those moments together. Yeah, for sure. It's just something that I've come to realize. And I have to say, even just this year, I I literally just only realized this this year, right? It's just content creation is so much harder than a real job. I'm I'm not trying to trivialize it by saying that what you're doing is not a real job, but it's actually harder than a real job. It's like a realer job because I think a lot of it is 
there is a fair amount of luck. Like everybody I've talked to just sort of says, because I mean, what's the latest meme, right? It's that ninja masterclass. Like I watched two YouTube videos on it, like where people try to take the masterclass and it was terrible, right? It's like, how do you become ninja? Well, you dye your hair blue and you figure out how to set up OBS and somehow you can get, <laughs> you know, $2 billion in your bank account. That's obviously not how it works. Survivorship bias and all that stuff. But it's like, you need to work really darn hard and you have to get really lucky. And people don't really appreciate the fact that you have to work so hard even to start off making a minimum wage or to like support yourself. So there's a ton of that. And I think if you take someone making 200K in a corporate job, that person might not be able to make it. Like they might just give up so much sooner, so much sooner because what they're doing in their job has, it's already paid for. Like they don't have to justify their employer giving them 200 grand a year. It's just, they don't have to think like that. So I think, I think I'm just trying to have more empathy for content people who have to do it. And you have to be especially crazy or driven or both to do it. That's exactly how it is. You know, those same people who asked me to, to uh, join their team in Silicon Valley, they also have tried streaming as well. You know, and they're like, dude, it's actually impossible. <laughs> it's actually yep. impossible. Like, there's yep. no it's way. It's actually you can literally impossible. And yet you're right sitting right across from them and you've done it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's very interesting as well. They're like, so basically the way the conversation goes is like, hey, you know, uh, we have this spot available and it would be super cool for you to come on. But at the same time, you know, the sort of asterisk there is they go, if I were in your position, I would easily just continue streaming because that's the dream you know like from their position as uh you know the 200 300k a year uh silicon valley slash new york um, lifestyle and they're like yeah you know if i could give everything up i would do exactly what you're doing right now and uh and it's just not that easy right it's just not that easy for everyone to be able to do that and there is a lot of survivorship bias there a lot of times people are like, well, how do you make a successful stream? How do you make a successful YouTube? Uh, like even for me with a with having a stream that's been successful for the last three years, I even even I can't have a successful YouTube. You know what I mean? Like sure, there are practices that I could be doing better. There are things that I could be trying harder at, but it's just not that easy right? It's not that, okay, well, I already have a successful stream. Therefore, my YouTube should be relatively easy. It doesn't always have those sort of uh, crossovers that work over in a, in a magical way, uh, such as that. And, and, and it is strange. I think that for the most part, the creators out there who are successful, um, the number one thing for me is, is definitely your point on survivorship bias. It's the streams that pop off. It's a matter of luck. It's a matter of timing. Say, for example, my stream, I got into Magic Arena at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. I got into Magic Arena at just right before Magic Arena kind of took off, um, right before kind of COVID locked everything down uh, at a time where the sort of discourse on Magic the Gathering was still very archaic. So, <laughs> yes. you know, people are like, people are still thinking about the bread method, right? Okay, well, first you got to pick bombs, then yeah. rares. You have to draft the open colors. Well, you know what? It's like, sure, you can draft the open colors, but what about what you want to draft, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you want to draft the cards that, that you want to draft. 
right? Does every single deck have to be some sort of aggressive deck that ends your opponent uh, by reducing their life total to zero? Not necessarily, right? So just kind of reforming all of these discourses that have basically been the norm for the last, I don't know, for like the last decade at least, uh, all of these things together, I think, is what allowed my stream to even take off in the first place. So um, it's 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 something that can't really be replicated for the most part, I think, uh, in terms of what makes a, a successful channel, what makes you a successful content creator. A lot of it is just kind of buying that lotto card, right? And just scratching it off, right? Maybe you didn't hit this time, right? Just go to the next one. And I think that that's a big way that can that Ninja kind of did it, right? Uh, for me, I watch, I watched Ninja back when he was like a 1,000, 1,500 viewer streamer. And it was like he would try out, like he would go from game to game to game, um, just buying that lotto card, scratching it off, seeing if he can hit. And, you know, at some point PUBG popped off for him and then Fortnite like really popped off for him. Uh, it's not something that you can really recreate, I think. Once again, there are best practices, but um, the essence of content creation, you've basically got to be a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was in his masterclass, the part where he said, you know, I was just trying to see what's what sticks. It's just mm. It's just only working backwards and be like, yeah, this is how I made it, you know, because I have a, a room with awesome lighting, like, and, you know, I, I'll show you how to ban and unban people on my stream, like, this is very important. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, does that scare you, though? Because I'm just, because the part of just you being, on the one hand, very hardworking, but on the other hand, just being a this sounds so bad to say, but like a product of circumstance, right? Mm. Because I checked your one of your VODs recently. Like you're still doing magic, as far as I know. You might have branched into different things, but is it scary to have to feel that you have to be in this lane? It it does scare me a little bit. Like scare in the sense of a worry, not really scare in the sense not like, of like yeah, not scared, scared, but just having yeah. some sort of worry or anxiety, maybe. Um. Yeah. I do anxiety too strong, I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a strange thing because the ultimate life of a content creator, especially a person who only focuses on one thing or one game is that you are ultimately at the fate of the developer, right? Like depending on how good the game is, that's going to depend on how good your stream is, how successful, healthy your stream is and the longevity of it. Uh, and also obviously the, the reception to that. So how people are uh, thinking about the game, like are that many people interested in the game? So as a content creator, you're always putting putting your heart on your sleeve kind of thing, right? Where ultimately uh, a lot of your livelihood doesn't depend on what you can do. Um, so that that is worrying for sure. And with Magic, I've seen that kind of fluctuate over the years. Uh, I think that I can speak for the vast majority of people that Magic Arena is not really the product that we anticipated. We anticipated a lot better. So overall, it probably has disappointed more people than it's than it's uh, uh, than people who actually think that it's where it should be. Mm -hmm. 
And it's really hard for me as well because I've been top in like a dozen different games. You know what I mean? Uh, and not only Magic the Gathering, but mm-hmm. it's hard because just because you're the best doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a successful stream, that you can be able to make a living off of it. Um, so like, it, you know, recently uh, there's this new game that came out called Marvel Snap. Is made by Bren, Ben Brode. It's a sort of Marvel card game. Um, and it's it's a really, really good game. But uh, that game has kind of dropped the ball on release. Combination of people not being able to play it and a card acquisition being kind of scuffed. Bro, I'm that, still that, on the waiting list, man. And they're releasing uh, yeah. a new expansion. Exactly, right? exactly. It's like, a, it's like season three. They're releasing a new expansion and stuff. And the way the card acquisition works is that if you're not in early, then you're going to have to be waiting a long time to play these decks that other people are playing. So uh, it's a really strange thing. It's a really strange thing. But uh, my friend and I, we did hit rank one on that. So like we uh, in the closed beta rank one in the world, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the past, I've been like either top 10 or top one in a dozen other games. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have a basically a way MMOs, to just yeah. get involved in new games and just learn them and and kind of master them fairly quickly i would expect right yeah i think one of the things that have been on my mind is that i actually kind of want to make a series or a master class on how to learn mm-hmm. so like how to get better at games without just reading a guide without just looking at a tier list because a lot of the sort of content that's out there, it's not really to make you a better gamer. It's to help people learn how to play this thing, right? It's like, okay, well, that's it's basically cool. to you learn can... how to deal. It's like, how can yep. I fit in because I am actually not that good of a gamer? Let's just be honest, right? Yep, exactly. But the thing is that you can learn how to get better at games, uh, even on your own. You can learn to start knowing what you don't know. And that sounds like a real, I don't really know how to say it. It sounds like a, almost like a pseudoscience, right? Like, how do you know what you don't know? Because obviously, if you know what you don't know, then do you truly uh, don't know that thing? And right. ultimately, yeah, you, yeah you, can, you can learn what you don't know. And mm-hmm. so it's like, uh, it's along the line of in my channel. Um, I always tell my viewers, better questions get better answers, yeah. right? So... Uh, instead of being like, okay, Desi, uh, I'm I'm stuck at platinum. How do I get to diamond? Okay, well, that's a very vague question. That's not going to get a great answer, right? But it's like, okay, well, I'm having this issue here where sometimes I don't know whether if I should attack or not. Okay, like that's still kind of a vague question, but that's a question that's going to get a better answer than the other thing. So a lot of it is self-awareness, I think. Um, and uh, so self-awareness is that, is a very important thing for both gamers and for content creators. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about self-awareness is that you really can't have someone tell you be self-aware and suddenly magically you're self-aware. Like you just, it all has to come from within, right? This is something I love saying, which is there are millions of books on self-improvement and self-help, but you have to be the one to actually pick it up from the bookcase and read it and digest it. And the other thing about self-awareness is that I think it's sort of just through life experience that you get it. Like something has to, it's kind of like religion, right? And not, not to try to make this analogous, but it's <laughs> like to find these things, you have to, you have to go through some shit. Like, you, like if your life, if your life is a life where you just enjoy playing video games, 
just for fun. And then there's nothing wrong with that, right? You're not ever going to try to deconstruct how to get better at video games. So it's like, I think what you're, what you're saying is very good. It's just that like the first step is people have to realize for that for themselves. It's kind of like how people can, someone can watch uh, YouTube videos all day and never want to create a YouTube video. It's because yeah. they don't, th that's not part of their brain. Right. So it's hard. Exactly. So it's, it is, it is, it is a very peculiar thing. Um, I think ultimately the one piece of advice that I would give uh, maybe as a teaser to this to this uh, sort of masterclass series that may or may not come in the future is uh, there's a price to success. And a lot of times uh, that price is failure or losing. So if you can get to a point where where you don't internalize losing, um, especially in casual events, right? Like if you're playing League of Legends and, you, and like really who cares about your LP? It doesn't really matter. But uh, the less you're afraid of losing, the more you can actually go out and try like weird stuff. Okay, maybe I have an idea, right? Um, and maybe this item can work on this a hero. Uh, and a lot of people aren't even willing to do that because of this sort of a feel, fear of losing and this eternalization of uh, self, self with that losing. So I think that that's an important thing um, when it comes to games. How did you that, overcome uh, that though? Because yeah. you've done it for Tetris, you've done it for mm -hmm. Magic Limited, and you've broken Limited in certain formats, right? And even yep. when I was playing, what was it like M10 or whatever, M20? Like I was using your crossbow strategy. So it's like, <laughs> like man, I was like, I had a, such a good time at that time, just you know, following your content. Uh, but how do you do that? How do you overcome the like? Or maybe another way to ask the question is why do most people not are not able to do that? Why is it that they can't do it? I think it's really strange. So one of the things that I will attribute that to is uh, over over the course of my life, um, I've had a lot of regrets about uh, sort of judging people, people by sort of what I've heard, whether whether it's from a good friend or not. And, um, you know, a lot of the times you can't really know someone unless you get to know them for yourself. Right. And then, and then you can make your own decision based on, uh, based on your experiences of that person. So I try not to really judge people, uh, that I don't know, you know what I mean? And in that same, in that same vein, I, I, I kind of apply that to games as well. So it's like a card it's just a card, right? It doesn't really exist uh, to be judged or it doesn't have any sort of will on its own, mm -hmm. but the perceptions of it do exist. So people would be like, this is a very bad card, right? This card is unplayable. And so instead of looking at a card as unplayable, you know, I try to, I try to see the sort of potential in it. So every single card in the set, I do a really deep analysis I could even make a YouTube series, honestly, about each individual card of a set, because mm. each individual card has its own nuances relative to the set. And also, um, even an F rated card can be an S tier card in another deck somewhere. Right. So uh, in the recent set, actually, in uh, Baldur's Gate, there are, there are a few rares that are actually F tier rares. Right. And even I acknowledge them as kind of F or D tier rares. Mm -hmm. But actually, 
if, if you get it offered early, you can create an S tier strategy that revolves around that one card. So that's sort of the mindset that I have going into games. It's a, a lot less about judging things, right? More about letting things be the way that they are and seeing if, uh, seeing if, if I can use that to my advantage somehow. So if I, if I understand what you're saying, it's like you've, for lack of a better term, you've been burned on inter- interpersonal relationships because you have prematurely judged somebody because of secondhand information, secondhand accounts, maybe based on the person's reputation, it probably hurts you or it didn't, you didn't enjoy it in some way. And so you're trying to sort of generalize that to be like, how can I, how can I be a better mindful person, but also when it comes to systems or or things that people have designed and put in front of me kind of thing. Cause exactly. like at, at the end of the day, exactly. these games are designed by people, right? So. Yep, exactly. So it's uh, trying to live a life that is less judgmental, I suppose. And uh, just trying to see, just trying to find, find and see way, see, what am I trying to say? Trying to see things in a more objective way. Um, I think that sort of, I think the sense of self is very important, but also if you're very aware of your sense of self, you can actually detach yourself to look at things in an objective way while holding on to your sense of self, if that makes sense. So um, it's a thing that works both in life with relationships between people. It also works in video games as well. So you can have like your preferences, for example, right? Like, okay, I love to draft uh, red, black for example. But at the same time, you can still be objective to be like, okay, well, these other decks are also good, right? It, it might not be my preference, but these other strategies also work as well. So it's it's a sort of duality, just trying to hold on to like what you think and maybe like what you can think. So these are two different things that can work together, even though they are kind of polar opposites. That sounds like a pretty good deal. I mean, I don't think there are many professions where you get to practice that. If I'm being honest, yeah. right? Like even if I'm making a 200k, I keep going back to your example because it's a good <laughs> one, right? I I'm pretty sure your friend may not be able to exercise this on a daily basis, or it's not the same, right? Because you're not trying to break a game, you're not trying to really teach somebody something. Because I think in a corporate setting, most of the time you're just maybe if you have subordinates, right? You're trying to teach them something or coach them, but most of the time you're providing a very definitive value, right? through through your work through your keyboard or whatever it is yeah it's a very strange thing i don't think i've ever really talked about this philosophy on on my stream or anything but uh it kind of goes into i made a video like years back um it's called drafting the sleazy way (laughs) (laughs) and uh so that's obviously a play on uh, ben stark's um drafting the hard way way. hard way or drafting the hard way right so he has that he has that contrast, right? Instead of drafting the easy way, just you know, picking up, uh, picking up your, picking up your 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 bombs and just sticking to a single color, you want to draft the hard way, where you want to try to find what's open to try to get what to try to get rewarded in an, mm. in pack three, sometimes pack two, um, and that's been kind of the general discourse of magic for the last decade, right? And so what I brought to the table the way that I would frame it is uh, drafting the sleazy way where is sure you do try to keep in mind what's open, 
But ultimately, like you want to draft what you want to draft. Like there are certain cards I want to play with, right? There are certain cards I think is way better than everything else. Like who cares what colors I'm in? Like uh, screw it, I'm going to pick that card and see what happens. And so uh, that's uh, that's sort of the philosophy, I guess, of both my uh, video gaming um, in Magic and not in Magic, uh, as well as life. Just drafting the sleazy way. <laughs> But I gotta, I've got to, I've got to say it's, it must be great to draft a sleazy way, but I think you're, I don't, I don't necessarily think you're short selling yourself, but I think there's a high requirement to have already mastered a lot of things to even be able to do that. It's like, it's like being in the matrix, like to be Neo, you have to, you have to first see the physics of the world to be what it is. And I, and honestly speaking, most people don't want that. Most people just I always use the example of the cyborg guide. They don't want to know how to fish. They just want the cyborg guide, right? And <laughs> and which is you're providing a good service to them too. I mean, you do have your tier lists yep. from what I know. So if you want the shortcut, then just go with that. But because uh, it's very hard to, and then the other thing is like that's one aspect, which is like you have to be a master to to subvert the rules. But also it's just sort of like you're gonna look really fucking stupid. Because unless you you reach that mastery, so it's going to be like you're crawling, crawling, crawling. Now you're flying, right? Yeah. So, true. I mean, how how many people can do that, right? Let's just be honest. I think you're probably in the top one percent, zero point one percent of limited players, and so I think you have to see that as well. Yep, yep. That's that's definitely true. I think that, like, in a sense, sometimes I don't have that sense of self awareness, where it's a very normal thing that each individual's reality to them is normal, right? Like, Oh yeah. Do you think a millionaire wakes up and, and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm a millionaire. Like, woo, you know, no, they prob- they're bottles. probably like, I'm not a billionaire. I got to work yep. harder. <laughs> exactly. Like you're always looking up that's, and that's one of the things about streaming and content creation as well is that literally no matter how big you get, nobody thinks that they're a big streamer. Like, Unless you're Shroud, unless you're Ninja. And honestly, I don't even think that they think that they're big streamers either. They're still right? looking but, at the view counts, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. They're like, they're like, or maybe they're looking, uh, looking back to how, to how high they peaked in the past, mm. right? They're like, okay, well, you know, even, e- even though I have five digit viewers, uh, I'm still a small streamer. And that's, and that's one of the weird things about humans for sure is that we always look up. Uh, we almost never look down. I do want to ask though, you, you just mentioned like you don't have these conversations, which I'm really happy that we can do it on this podcast, but like, so you've never engaged with your viewers that way. Is it just because you don't think they want it? Is it that you don't think it's the right environment? I'm really curious about that. I think, I think one of those things as well is that I don't want to really be like a preachy person because, mm-hmm. because by no means are my methodologies and philosophies uh, correct? You know, like in an objective way, well, they work for me. There may be something better out there, but ultimately this is what works for me, right? And so, and even and even if they were just at 100% infallibly correct, right? I don't yeah. want to be a person who is like preaching, uh, and kind of imposing on other people. I do really yeah. believe in that sort of a freedom of self where everyone should do what they want to do. And if our paths cross, then we can enjoy those moments together. I love that. That's consistent because you did say that. And I think that's also the beauty of a class. It's like a 
it's a complete opt-in system. It's like yep. you either take it or you don't. If like you know if someone went through the door, they're interested, right? Or maybe they're maybe they're, maybe they want their money back, but that's probably sure. hopefully a minority case, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the good thing about it's 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 sort of like the analogy, like nobody wants to pick the book up from the bookshelf unless they want to learn or they they feel yep. like they need it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's very different if somebody picks up the book themselves versus you handing them a book. Yeah. Right. That's because, the part. Yeah. So not a lot of people will be that open to reading a book that somebody hands them. Right. But if they're willing to pick it up, then that's a different story. Um, and ultimately, I really do try to focus on the sort of process. Uh, one of the things in my daily life that I try to emphasize is enjoying the simple moments, right? Like enjoying the moments where there's nothing happening. Because if you're only trying to enjoy the moments where something's exciting or there's a party or something like that, then, then what's the meaning of the rest of your time, right? Like in a way, the rest of your time is uh, meaningless or it's useless. It's just, uh, it's just a temporary buffer to get to the next point. So the process, the sort of um, the sort of mundane moments are something that I like to cherish. Yeah, totally. I mean, because if you think of it, if you think of the party as the ultimate pick me up, then that means the majority of your life, you're just really it just really sucks. And yeah, it's just filler episodes of Nardo, you know, <laughs> exactly. So tell me a little bit about your travels. I mean, this is part of me wanting to catch up as well, because what did you do a TwitchCon? Like, was it one or two weeks ago? Where are you right now? Are you in the Netherlands or? Yeah. So I'm in the Netherlands. I'm at a, I'm in a little city called Leowarden. I am, uh, I've been living here together with my friend, Tyler OOTD. He's like a big Hearthstone personality. He was a Hearthstone grandmaster. Like one of the, one of the initial, um, first 32 Hearthstone grandmasters in the whole world. And uh, a lot of my friends, if you've listened to the the last podcast, come from the Hearthstone world. Um, Hearthstone was a really big part of my life. And a lot of my good friends are still Hearthstone people. You know, like uh, I've been living here with my friend Tyler for the last three months. Uh, Next week, I'm going to be going to visit my friend Elki. He's he's like a big poker pro, but we knew but we knew each other from uh, the Hearthstone world as well. Right. So we we have these uh, sort of. Um, connections that are eternal that last and go beyond the game itself even if we're not in that game so um yeah last week I went uh, a few weeks ago I went to TwitchCon Amsterdam here in the Netherlands uh, I wasn't really planning on going I think that if you had to calculate it it's probably less than a one percent chance that I would have gone this year but Why was I that? was so I, so uh, about four months ago, I was, uh, so about uh, three months ago, actually, I was actually in Prague for, um, for the friends I mentioned's wedding. So Elki and Jenny, they, they had a big wedding. So I flew all the way from Thailand over to Prague and to, to, to attend their wedding, to celebrate their big day. And then uh, Tyler, he doesn't live too far away. Prague and the Netherlands is r- relatively close, about an hour and a half flight. So figured I would come hang out for a little bit and then go back to Thailand. And I didn't even realize that TwitchCon Amsterdam was actually just not, not too far away. And so Tyler was like, yo, bro, you might as well just stay until Amsterdam, um, until TwitchCon Amsterdam. So 
I stayed for that. I went to that and we're back here now. Um, and that's a lot of my travels. It's a lot of it's like, Hey, is, uh, one of my friends going like, Hey, Desi, come hang out. Uh, you know, and since I can stream from anywhere, as long as there's good internet, I really don't have a great reason to say no. Um, so over the course of COVID, it's been really interesting for sure. Was it, was it 2000, was it 2019 when COVID hit or was that 2018? I can't even remember. It, I think it was 2020 right? or maybe the tail end of 2020. 2020. Right, yeah. 2020, so, I think it was like the first quarter of that. Yeah. That's right. So uh, 2020, um, COVID was picking up and uh, it was looking like the U.S. was going to be locked down. So uh, in anticipation of that, um, and also because my friend who I mentioned before, the IRL streamer who has stopped streaming, she was like, hey, Korea's super normal. Everybody is very responsible here and everyone's wearing masks and life is operating as usual. So, uh, you know, if, if, if you're going to get locked down, you might as well get locked down in, uh, you know, a country where you can go out and do stuff, go hang out with friends and stuff. So I was like, all right, well. I packed all my things up, went to Korea, and I didn't expect it at the time. I thought I was only going to be there for a few months, but as COVID got worse in the U.S., uh, I had to keep on extending my um, extending my visa, extending my stay there, and I ended up staying in Korea for almost a year. So I was out there. I met a lot of really cool friends as well. A lot of the IRL streamers, like the like the big IRL streamers, Korean IRL streamers that you see on Twitch. Um, we 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 had this almost forbidden friendship you know during during the times of covid where it was a it was a time where people weren't going out people weren't meeting people right like you weren't supposed to be having fun or enjoying yourself and we were out there you know yeah. having like our parties and get togethers and going out traveling across uh, korea together uh, one of my friends uni she long story short she was involved in this like housing scam Okay, so in yeah, so in Korea, there's like this really weird system to renting, renting either a house or an apartment. It's called a yonsei system, and ultimately you get a low rent for putting a huge deposit down. So it's not uncommon to be putting like a hundred k, two hundred k deposit down to rent a flat, and instead of having to pay like two, three k a month or whatever, you'll pay like five hundred, six hundred. And okay. so in, in return, the homeowners, the landlords, they use that money and then they invest it in something, right? So it's uh, basically like uh, getting a loan and you get to live in my house as collateral. Right. So uh, she, was, she was essentially homeless. So we went on a two-week road trip around Korea, uh -huh. visiting friends and stuff. Just it was, it was just too funny. There was one time it was a Halloween and we went to this haunted house and this haunted house, it's fucked, man. Oh my goodness. It, it's like this abandoned church that went under because it was found. It was caught as this sort of illegal uh, dog breeding ground. So they were breeding dogs for food. And so we we like we like went into this abandoned building and like all the cages were still there rusting away uh as we were walking around the ground was crunchy 
and we're like, what, what is this? Are these like wood chips <laughs> oh, or something? And so we zoom in the camera into the ground and it's just carcasses of maggots. It's oh, just like, man. it's just like, like the entire ground, it, it looks like wood chips, but you look closer and they're all just like all dead bugs, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, this, and this place was, oh my goodness. But, you know, that was a really, really fun time looking back on it uh after after we went there um oh actually actually there as well so we went up into the bell tower right it was like this really weird kind of uh stone steps that was really dangerous and i don't even know like why they were there there like there's no handrail or anything it's it was almost like climbing a ladder right but but there were stairs and we climbed up into the bell tower and in the bell tower, there were like blood paintings of like demons and like humans being decapitated. And it was like so freaky because we didn't expect that at all. Right. And we're like, what the hell is going on? Oh, my gosh. And um, well, that was on know. purpose. Right. That's the haunted house aspect of it. Whereas the, the maggots and the carcasses were real. I assume. It's like, I mean, I mean. It, I mean, it wasn't really supposed to be a haunted house. It was supposed, it was supposed to be just like an abandoned place. Oh, okay, okay. It's just how you're describing it. I thought it was like yeah. someone tried to like redo it as a professional nope. haunted house where they, you know, they charge for you to get in and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so no, no. satanic shit happening. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. So there is some real satanic shit happening. And uh, it was like, it was like this building in Busan that actually, I don't think it was in Busan. I, I don't remember where it was, but it was close to Busan, Korea. And it was like this place that, you know, the locals just don't go to. It's like this place where it's completely abandoned and, you know, like you should not be going there kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and we live streamed all of it, too. It was uh, it was really <laughs> fun. <laughs> it was really fun. But, you know, afterwards we got out and we went to go get food at yeah. the restaurant. We, we we asked for like a bowl of salt. Right. And we went outside and we like threw salt at, at each other to like try to dispel the evil spirits kind of thing. Word off the spirits. Yeah. Yeah. So wow, it, those are really <laughs> good times for sure. It was just so much fun, sort of, sort of weird things happening one after another. And um, at the time it was like, what in the world is going on? But mm-hmm. looking back on it, it was, it was really good. So COVID COVID has been a really weird time for me, um, both for stream and for real life as well. Normally, what I need to do is I need to kind of be in the West somewhere because there's always like some sort of like, uh, say, a TwitchCon event or there's a dream hack or something that wizards would pay me to go out to or I would have some sort of uh, sponsorship collaboration that I would have to fly out to kind of thing. But uh, since all of that basically halted during COVID, mm-hmm. I ironically, that was the time that I could actually like go out and travel. You know, uh, go out and visit some friends that I haven't seen seen uh, since since COVID lockdown. Like here, Tyler, I haven't seen Tyler in three years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it was a it was a very strange time. So I was there in Korea for a year. Then I went back to Texas. <clears throat> then I went to visit my grandmother in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Then I went to go visit friends in Vegas. Then I went to Prague. Then I went to Dubai for New Year's last last year mm-hmm. and then back to Prague and then I was in Thailand for two months before coming back to Prague for the wedding and then now here in the Netherlands so 
um, a lot of traveling for somebody who really hates traveling. <laughs> like, I really can't stand it. But you really hate traveling? Uh, yeah, I really hate it. I can't stand traveling. Really? Um, yeah, yeah but traveling... But traveling during COVID was actually pretty cool because uh, the, all, all of the airports were empty. Um, all of the planes were empty. Mm-hmm. It was just, it looked like a, it looked like a scene from uh, I Am Legend or something, you know what I mean? Just a completely desolate world, just nobody out there, streets empty. And it was, it, it was quite nice. Do you have any favorites in terms of these places you visited during COVID? Favorites, huh? I guess it's more about the people. So maybe it's hard to just pin it on a location. Right. But just, just like if you could see your, could you see yourself settled in one of these places? I don't know if it's Korea or right now where you are or somewhere else. I think that Dubai was really interesting. Dubai. I know that there's a lot of criticism around it, but they are like, they are, they are revolutionizing uh, their philosophies very, very quickly. And so I think that one of the leaders moving into the new world is probably going to be uh, Dubai, like the like the modern world. So Dubai is really cool. It's still being built up. Um, it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of culture and history there just because everything's been built up like over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like a really clean place, really cool, luxurious, whatever. But uh, I don't think that I would be that happy to live there. Um Moving to Thailand, Thailand has been very interesting for sure. Um, it almost feels like the opposite of the West. What I feel sometimes in the West is that everything's everything's getting old. Everything's getting uh, everything's kind of run down, and we don't really have that much innovation in terms of like rebuilding things and making things better. You know, if anything, uh, especially in Europe, it's about trying to maintain this heritage that we have, right? Like, okay, all these old things, let's try to preserve them. Everything's a national landmark. Right. Whereas uh, whereas in Thailand, everything is like, OK, we're going to make this thing better. Right. Like we're we're going to develop this part and everything feels like uh, everything feels like it's it's growing. It's growing and it's alive. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I really like about uh, about my travels there in Asia and in Thailand. And um, there we, there I met a lot of really, really good friends as well. Um, just a lot of people who are also de- degenerates. They kind of live like the degen life, and um, and we get along really well. But um, in addition to that, as well, living in Asia, the a- the Asian time zone works out really nicely for my stream because I've always kind of taken the nighttime slot in the U.S. That's like around six six p.m. Pacific, and I usually stream for like you know my eight or ten hours or whatever. Um, but in Asia, what I can do instead is I can wake up at 10 or 11 a.m. and then stream, have a, a stream until about 6 p.m. and then have a normal life. You know, every single day waking up when it's bright, going to sleep when it's dark. And that's really improved my mental health as well. Mm. So in, in terms of timing, Asia is really good for me. Yeah. I like what you said, too, about Thailand, just like just certain places being kind of you could feel the excitement because they're trying to build something or something is growing and uh i guess it's just because the u.s is so established already so you can only see maybe the decrepit part of it or i don't know like i i guess it's all a matter of perspective but i think there is something exciting about 
Southeast Asia and even like Singapore and these places. I, yep. I feel like you're having a really, um, it's really broadened your horizons, right? Like you must have had some really good takeaways just from being exposed to more places and more people, I would expect. It has broadened my horizons for sure. Um, it's kind of helped me put things into perspective. Uh, I think I, I, I think one of the things about um, Americans <laughs> about being American is that a lot of times we lack this sort of self-awareness. So um, my travels in Europe haven't really broadened my horizons, but going to Asia, like Asia is a really different sort of world over there, um, especially Southeast Asia. You know, like I haven't been to Cambodia or Vietnam or anything, but I kind of assume that that it would be somewhat similar <clears throat> where just the sort of Western philosophy is just so different than uh, Eastern philosophies. And it's not like Eastern philosophy don't adapt Western philosophies as well. Like they're definitely trying to uh, find some sort of symbiosis there mm -hmm. um, as they develop more, right? But uh, it's just very exciting to see to see people and ideas that are different than what we may just come to take for granted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm very I'm kind of envious in a way because I've, I've been in China like the whole three years of the, sure. the COVID. And I mean, of course, around China and you know how China is big enough where it's like different provinces and regions are very different. Yeah. But man, it, it's, it would be great to, uh, be in, a some countries where they pretend COVID doesn't exist. You know, yep. <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. I kind of say that jokingly, but I mean, I guess if, if you move back to the U S too, it's probably like that too. Right. I, I, at least from what I've read, it seems like people are just kind of trying to move on from the whole, the whole endeavor or the whole, whole ideal kind of like, if I imagine it, it's not there, it, it just won't exist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Europe is a lot like that, honestly, uh, especially here in the Netherlands, the vast majority of people are like anti-vax uh, people are people, people don't even acknowledge it. Right. Like the moment all the mandates lifted, everyone just went back to the daily life kind of thing. Uh, sometimes I feel like people are almost NPCs in a sort of in a sim game, you know, like Sims four or something. Um, but yeah, it is, it is it is interesting for sure and that's one of the things i liked about both korea and thailand is that even as it's like they both acknowledge that it's important to have precautions but also people are still going about their normal day-to-day -day, right and i think that that's a really good balance for me um so it's like yeah it's it's dangerous but you know we're we're all wearing our masks we're all getting vaccinated and we're just trying to get back to our normal life and that's a very different perspective than say like texas or say you know here in the netherlands people people are people want to go back to their normal day to day to life but they're not really uh helping that by sort of taking those precautions that are that are essentially free right like you know getting your shot is free wearing a mask uh, in crowded places is basically free so yeah. that's already a difference in philosophies <laughs> in between a lot of western places in the east yeah for sure for sure and i i mean I, i'm not trying to pry but i also feel like there are other reasons that you left the the u.s right so are, are things good with you and your your family or right now or is it just kind of a complicated situation 
it is it is quite complicated i think because uh so for those of you who don't know it was it was actually during the start of covid during the start of covid um my my parents and i we got in a really big argument it was uh, during the times of black lives matter right and once again i'm a huge advocate of using your platforms the way that you want to use them um whether you know whether it's for something good or not like you know the way you use your platforms is up to you uh so my platform i decided i wanted to raise both awareness and also money for black lives matter uh so i had used my stream for fundraising we ended up raising a lot of money i think we raised maybe like uh six or seven k and i put and and i put a good chunk of my money in that as well because that's something i believe in um and long story short, <laughs> my parents were not very happy about it. My parents are like kind of Trump, you know, Trump supporters, and they don't really believe in the movement that the movement's sort sort of a uh, something that's destroying America, right? And so, uh, yeah. Long story short, I I got kicked out of my home, and uh, I went to go live in my friend's place. Luckily, my friends opened up their doors to me, and uh, since then, haven't really spoken that much. With my parents, my grandmother was sick. Uh, my my grandmother got really sick last year, which is the reason I was in Los Angeles for a while to to visit my grandmother and stuff. Um, she had like this really uh, this really invasive sur- surgery, and she was recovering and stuff. So uh, during those times, I was talking to my mom, but basically, but basically just talking to my mom about my grandmother kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's it's really difficult for sure. Uh, family is something that has always been hard for me because you because you have all of these uh, certain 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 uh, how do you say it? It's like things things that you feel like are necessary, right? Like things that you feel are normal, things that that family should be doing should not be doing, and there's a lot of rules and sort of. Uh, tradition and circumstance to that and it's really hard coming from an Asian family <laughs> to you know to 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 want to get along but it's it's complicated so long story short not really haven't really uh solved anything with my parents mm-hmm. but um yeah but yeah life, I mean I, life I, goes I... on yeah, I, I, and I'm I'm just I'm sorry to hear that, and but I mean, like you said, life goes on, and I, and also I just want to be clear, like I don't want to. It's so weird. Like I have these, I have this weird tendency on the podcast to try to problem solve for people, just because okay. people are telling me stuff, and I know it's totally it's totally not something I should be doing. So I'm just caveating the hell out of what I'm trying to say next, which is like. Your family is just always going to be your family. I mean, that's cliche, but your parents are just always going to be your parents. Like if they support a certain ideology or a thing, they're not going to change. So it's just something that you have to reconcile with, right? And yeah. and sometimes the option is to have some distance because, you know, there's books that tell you you should, you have to like make amends with your family. But sometimes if things are just not good for your mental, they're not good for your mental. So it's just... You know, I don't even know what I'm, there's no solution here, obviously. <laughs> I'm just sort of like saying both sides of it, but, uh, but you know what I mean, right? I'm just, 
I feel that really strongly sometimes. So. I think I think it reflects on my philosophy a lot about just my everyday life is that I don't think that people need to agree, but people can get along. And it's and 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 it's not about agreeing to disagree, right? Because I think agreeing to disagree, like this concept is so passive aggressive that it yeah. really annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Um and talk about I really cliche, believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Like I really believe in either being passive or aggressive, just not both. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's like, you know, the world, people can think different things and that's fine and we can get along. Um, and that's one of the weird things that I see in the U S as well. Uh, one of the reasons why I haven't really returned to the U S is that it's such a weird place where you have these conflict of, of ideologies, but nobody can get along, like nothing can get done. And I don't know how long that can go on for. I don't know mm. if America's going to self-implode or what, but mm. it just feels very nice to be away from all that. Because um, it's different I've from a regular just... disagreement. It's like, in this case, a lot of this is just kind of roadblock. It's just like, yep. like sometimes somebody's beliefs is predicated on intolerance for somebody else. And that gets really murky really fast right because if you don't even have that common ground how are you going to have any any progress i know I'm, exactly. i know i'm preaching to the choir here but that's, that's <laughs> even even not living in north america i can feel that you know i just feel that kind of permeating on the yep on the world wide web you know it's so i can only imagine what it's like well maybe it's better in irl because like you know twitter's not real etc cetera, etc cetera, right so <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's, I think it's a really crazy time that we've lived in for sure. Um, living as a streamer has also been strange. So streaming is one of these things where essentially viewers see streamers as NPCs, right? Like they're actually not real people. There's just someone there. Um, <laughs> you're just, or as, uh, as Noxious says, you're just, you're just dancing for them, right? You're just, I yep. don't know what he said. Yeah. <laughs> it's both there's a lot of people who want to live the dream, people who want to be a streamer, content creator. And at the same time, it's, there's, there's a lack of uh, somewhat identity or humanity in it. A lot of times it's just, you're just there. People are coming to watch and you're doing their thing and you're doing your thing. They're, they're doing their thing, but ultimately you're not, you're, you're not real. You know, like you're like, you're actually not a real person. Um, so during, during streaming, during, during COVID as a streamer is really interesting. Uh, I think all across the board, the numbers were up, right? Everyone's at home, not really being able to do anything. And people are looking for something to watch, something to like take their mind off of the world. Mm -hmm. And streaming was, streaming was fun. I mean, it was it was nice getting, you know, a huge influx of viewers and a lot of support and, um, you know, feeling almost having almost a guilty pleasure of just, just feeling like, ha you know, all of you mm -hmm. have to live my life now as well. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. sort of, uh, NPC streaming life where, you know, you don't really go outside, you don't really hang out with friends. You just gotta be locked in your own home. Like, bro, I've been doing COVID years before COVID. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, that, and that, and it, that was nice. It was a really big guilty pleasure for me. But um, 
That's so interesting yeah. because like what you described also, you know, how like you, you both sides see each other as just NPCs. Uh-huh. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a more accessible form of celebrity now as a content person or a streamer, because I would have to think if you're like somebody really fucking famous, like Bono or David Beckham, uh, you know, you can't think of your fans as people anymore. You have to think of them as entities and you need bodyguards to keep them away from you and all this sure. stuff. Right. And I, I feel like you've sort of had to develop that as a streamer too, in a, in a much smaller way. Like you just have like, they are people, but they're not people. And it's yeah. sort of like, it's this weird social contract you have with the other side. Right. Yep. Exactly. Almost, it's weird because for people, humans, humans are all about other humans, right? It's a really weird thing. It reminds me of this Seinfeld episode where Seinfeld is like, man, aren't humans so weird? You go to work all day with other people then you come home tired and you turn on the TV, you're watching people like <laughs> the world to people is just people. And it's a really strange thing, I think, but it's something that we can't really get away from. Um, humans are kind of really self-absorbed, <laughs> I guess. And it's, and no matter what you do, you can't really take away that sort of human aspect. And, you know, I've come to enjoy the humanity of people, uh, a lot more than I kind of enjoy the physicality of people. So in a way, NPC can be an almost endearing term, I think, (laughs) right? Where it's like, I, I like all these personalities and I like engaging in conversation and thought with these people that I know that are people, but the physicality of it is something that I'm actually not that interested in. Like, you know, I didn't like, I don't like events like TwitchCon. I hate seeing a bunch of people like grouped up together. Uh, So that, so, so, so that for me is almost uh, something that is like a cyberpunk romanticism or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, and also, I think a lot of streamers that I've met in real life are just not anywhere close to who they are, who they represent themselves online. That goes without saying, because we talked about how, you know, it's, you, you, you make yourself an 11 out of 10, or maybe even like burnout trying to be somebody that you're not by being, by no judgment, but by, by trying to be like extra foolish or dumb or accentuate mm-hmm. some part of you that appeals to a massive audience. Um I think you would be pretty much the same. Like if I saw you on the street today, I think we probably have something similar to this, but, but that's like a one-on-one. This is kind of like the nature of group activities. It's just, you can't really do that. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm in like these Facebook chat groups, like, cause I'm a boomer. Right. And mm-hmm. even just trying to talk about something remotely political, just like, just goes to hell after, even with like five people in a chat group who we're all supposed to be friends. And so I just don't even touch that shit anymore. You know, it's like, I've like the only way you can have real conversations now is to have one-on-one conversations just just full stop like if anyone thinks that if you if you think anyone else is watching or if you know someone else is watching or listening then you just you just can't be yourself anymore it's just yep. it's just simple that, like that you know yeah it is a strange thing too because i feel we're kind of moving into this era and it might have been um, accelerated by COVID, where like everybody wants to be a content creator. You know, <laughs> it's it's both. I'm just it's laughing because it's kind of true. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Like it's interesting, but a certain aspect of it is cringe to me. Where it's like, 
everyone wants to be everyone wants to be validated i guess in a certain extent right validated on social media validated in terms of but, like but to be to be really mean going. about it, Desi, like uh-huh. I, I think present company excluded, but a lot of people just don't have anything fucking interesting to say. Like there's just not interesting. And so they study all these like, you know, hacks on how to get view counts and how to do uh-huh. all caps thumbnails and stuff. And but there's no soul behind it. Like there's no. Yeah, that's you know, the thing for me is that a lot of times, you know, I'll be on Instagram and I'll look at all these reels. They just right? want to make it. But what are they making? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like you have all these view counts, but there, but a lot of times it, it doesn't feel like they've created something. It doesn't feel like there's a soul to it. Right. And, uh, you know, this might just be me, um, me being jealous or whatever, you know, people's millions, millions of views and stuff. But it's like, I feel like everything is just so diluted in the sense that we're just trying to find new content. We're trying to find something to watch, something to take our mind off of uh, whatever problems we have. And as a result of that, too, a lot of people just want to be content creators, right? Like people are trying to make content, but what is content really? Um, I feel like, I feel even when I'm trying to find things to watch, there's, there's a lack of a soul. There's a lack of uh, like meaning or something in everything that I watched. Right. Um, And maybe, maybe my stream is included as well in that. I'm not sure. Like my stream does have a philosophy, you know, like I'm trying to basically uh, break every single format of magic, trying to mm-hmm. find like squeeze out every last thing I can get from every format. So mm-hmm. people who want to get a full view of a draft format, they can come to my stream and they can um, essentially experience that with me. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes I do wonder if I can give my content, my stream uh, a brighter soul. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I think that we lack. Um, that, that's hard, yeah. man, because we're all in these constructs. Right. And so mm-hmm. but I do think your stream is special in the sense that it is like trying to figure out, like, what is this matrix that we're in and just trying to, like, subvert it or break out of it. Right. Break the game, break the matrix. So I think that's uh, and you don't have to preach to do it, which is kind of the the the, the brilliant part about it, because, like, you don't have to preach it like you just do it. Right. And yeah. And. And someone can appreciate that just without even thinking on that level. Like you can kind of appreciate it on a, on a level one, but also beyond that. Right. So I think that's the sort of nice how it's constructed in my opinion. It's kind of the goal, I suppose, where I'm trying to do a very extraordinary thing in a very ordinary way. Right. Like you come to my stream. It's not, it's not supposed to be some sort of like a crazy, crazy uh event every single day right but it's okay you're coming here and we're de- and we're deconstructing the matrix it's almost like there's a loading screen right like okay well how 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 long until we deconstruct the matrix until we have figured out everything this format has to offer um and i think a lot of my viewers do get that a lot of my viewers who watch my stream primarily over uh other channels or like other youtube channels they will see certain formats in a very different light than everybody else. Um, and in a way, it feels like indoctrination, right? It's like, okay, well, people people are coming here and yeah, I'm kind of indoctrinating them like mm-hmm. very slowly, uh, adding a little, adding a few drips of poison in their drink with every meal. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's essentially what I'm trying to do. And yeah. 
Um, viewership has been down after COVID. And I think that the last year and a half of magic sets have been on the decline. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm a, some sort of elite connoisseur, you know, when it comes to limited formats. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I have a lot to say about when formats are bad, Mm -hmm. but also when formats are good, you know, there are certain things that I really, really like in formats. There are certain philosophies that I think that if I were in charge, you know, like if Mm -hmm. I were in charge, I would make all, all of these formats very close to a 10 out of 10, Mm -hmm. because there are certain aspects of it that I think are, are, that are inherently wrong. Yeah. Um, and there, and there are ways to kind of do that better. And so sometimes I, I get disappointed by just how, just how deep a format is, right? Like sometimes a format's not going to have those, uh, heart piercer bows. Sometimes the format's not going to have like the secret clear the mind strategy, Mm -hmm. uh, that's there. And every single time I don't find one of those in a set, I do feel like the set kind of lacks a soul. You know, like the same way we're talking about how consecration sometimes lacks a soul. Um, everything, everything requires depth to it. And depth doesn't necessarily mean that has to be complicated. You can have a format that is deep, but you can also have a format where that same exact set is enjoyable for a brand new player, you know? So uh, this is kind of how I look at a lot of sets. And the last, the last five or six sets or so have not been too great. So. Uh, as a result, you know, viewership has been down and, and this is one of the weird things as well. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but like in chi- so in Chinese culture, a lot of gods, their power depends on the amount of believers they have, right? Like just how many people are praying to them, right? Like, uh, if there's not enough people praying to the God of a harvest, then you're not going to have a good harvest, Right. I'm afraid I know more about Goku drawing the energy from the Dragon Balls or um, <laughs> or making a donation to the Church of Scientology than the Chinese gods. Not that I'm a Scientologist, okay. but I hear uh-huh. that, you know, if you the more money you give, the more powers that Xenu or whatever will give you. Right. So. Yeah. So. OK. So. So basically in. So, so basically from what I know uh, amongst the ancient Chinese gods is that essentially how big the god is depends on how many followers they have like how many um how many temples that are constructed in their name okay this is like the pre-clout clout okay like original yeah, exactly. traditional clout okay yeah 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 like this is a this is archaic trout uh, clout you know and so in a way i think that that's essentially what content creators are right like the amount of followers you have like the amount of people who are consuming your content like how much people are talking about it or thinking about it on a day-to-day basis it essentially uh you know in this game it provides you value as a content creator so like everyone is kind of chasing that right everyone's chasing the clout everyone's chasing the follower counts the the viewer counts and um essentially you know if you are to play the game that is essentially your worth, right? <laughs> like how many people are watching? Yeah, it's how many a number, eyes are on statistic, it? that kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. Like how well known are you? Um, so yeah, a lot of times I do think about that. I, I do think about that because in these uh, sort of Chinese stories that I read, mm-hmm. like I uh, read a lot of Chinese manhua and uh, a lot of Chinese anime and stuff, but, they, but they're like, 
a lot of a lot of times the characters the main characters are like these gods that don't have a lot of followers anymore okay you know and they're like starting content creators yeah yeah like either starting content creators or content creators who used to be popular but are no longer uh, and and i think it's a very gods yeah that's yeah tough. exactly exactly um so i think that's a very interesting thing the uh, the whole perception of content creation whole po- perception of uh validation and self-worth i think that's something that's very interesting to kind of be aware of i guess as we move on into i think i think there people the are starting to be aware of it right and people are there is a kind of reaction happening i feel in the quote-unquote industry where you have people who are on the surface successful they're just burned out like your friend or even mm-hmm. someone on a bigger scale or there's some crazy stuff that happens where you know like you know how you say like never meet your heroes like you'll, you'll find out someone did something like incredibly dirty or crazy bad to somebody else and you're just like how could he or how could she and there's just sort of this i feel like there's this like correction it doesn't mean we're going to go back to amish times where we're going to just abhor technology and never be on twitch but i feel like there's a reaction right and i think you would probably feel that maybe even a bit more closely because you have people around you like some of them are still going but maybe they don't love it some of them are just they've quit the game right they choose not to play the game so there's got to be some of that right Uh, or at least maybe or at least or this is the optimist in me saying that there is a correction or maybe that's what the media wants you to believe or wants <laughs> me to believe. So they're feeding me that story so that I feel like I can be appeased, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have seen a lot of rise and falls of uh, my, like, you know, gods. <laughs> gods to say, <laughs> like, like uh, content creation gods. Um, and it is it is a very strange thing. I mean, one of the things that I think that I yearn for is uh creating something right like i so it's it's weird because once again i feel like content creators don't create (laughs) content creators don't create content creators exist and so i'm yearning to like actually create something right build something Mm -hmm. and um i think that that's something that's been lacking or they create but it's more uh ephemeral it's like a temporary thing right yeah exactly um maybe maybe there's a difference between create and make yeah it's like they make something but it's not something that's created maybe maybe creation has some sort of some sort of uh meaning to it right like something that something that is deeper something that is ephemeral something that exists beyond simply being consumed uh for i don't know three or four days hitting two million views or whatever and then just disappearing um so what are yeah, you going to do? You're going to like stitch a pair of shoes together. So it's like a real thing that exists. Or... Yeah. I'm actually wondering, it's like clothing is something that I'm certainly interested in. Uh, I, I don't really know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that, maybe the concept I had before of uh, trying to build a master class of teaching people how to, how, how to teach themselves, how to learn what they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, one, one of the things I want to get away from, which is the essence of streaming itself, is the sort of fast fashion that is content, right? Everything is meant to be created and disposed. Um, how do you think we can change things- that? Or how do you think you could 
play a hand in making it not a temporary artifact in time. I think if we could get to a point where streaming is something that doesn't require just how many hours you put in, how consistent you are, because that's that's something that is quite strange, right? That's essentially fast fashion. It's like, okay, well, every single day, Desi's going to stream. And, you know, if I don't catch a stream today, I'll catch a stream tomorrow or something like that, right? Or I'll catch it um, next month or something because he's still going to be there. He's still going to be handing out his, like, H&M clothes and, you know, you can wear it once and throw it away or whatever. Um, but uh, I think overall the perspective has to change. And I think that the way we create content has to change as well. But I'm not sure if the way that things are set up, if people are willing to accept that. Because say, if I had, a, if I put a lot of work instead, instead of uh, streaming, like most days, if I put a lot of work into having like one really special stream that, that has a lot of like content put into it, I don't think that people are going to necessarily watch in the same way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the viewership for that stream, if I were to stream once a week, even if it's a really good stream, I don't think it's going to be that high. Mm. So, you know, like it might be like a 200, 300 viewer streamer instead of like 400, 500 plus or whatever. Um, because the way that the meta works is that Twitch rewards people who are constantly streaming, right? People yeah. who don't take breaks, people are always streaming at the same time. Um, so something about that has to change as well. I'm not sure if one force can change the other necessarily, or if we're just eternally stuck <laughs> in this uh, sort of conundrum. No, you're you're not eternally stuck because there will be other platforms or there will be some sort of revolution within Twitch eventually where this will change, right? Or even to use a, tr- a very trite example, like isn't that what YouTube is? Like YouTube sort of rewards you constructing something, spend a lot of time on it because, I mean, it's shown. I mean, of, of course, again, I'm cherry picking, right? Because this is like the top 1%, but... I've watched two hour video essays on YouTube. So I know it can be done. Like there are things that transcend and I'm still thinking about one of those videos. Like I'm still thinking about it after like a week after. So it's not like everything is completely disposable, but I think also the challenge is that you have to go through the trial and you have to learn how to make disposable stuff before you can be enlightened to not Like, you know, it's basically like what you're doing with your gameplay. Like you have to, you have to master it to, to subvert it. And so how many people are able to do that? Right. Cause you can't just fast forward to like this new world. Right. It's very hard. Exactly. There's a process to it. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think, I think YouTube is sometimes a good example of that. Obviously there's a lot of fast fashion on YouTube as well. Right. Yeah. Um, like fast, fast content where, it's just meant to be consumed and never revisited again. So maybe maybe the goal is to create content that is revisitable, right? Something that people can come back and watch, almost almost like a, almost like a classic movie or something, almost like a Lion King, you know? Yeah, or a choose your own adventure, or like you can find a new nuance every time you you rewatch it or reconsume it, right? Exactly, and that's one of the things that I feel that doesn't 
only pertain to content creation. I feel like everything is almost fast fashion, right? Oh yeah. It's like movies are fast fashion. Like no matter, no matter how big of a budget Marvel spends on their movie, like is anyone going to watch Eternals twice? Like there's no way <laughs> for sure. <laughs> or in my uh, case, are they even going to watch it once? Like I, yeah, I sure. just like, I, I, I will just rewatch a classic movie. Like many, many, many times like the Lion King. Right. But sure. there's some movies that I just know, like there's, I'll be exactly the same person before and after I leave that screening of the movie, like hundred percent. Right. Sure. Um, I, they just don't make them like they used to. I'm just an old man yelling at clouds. Like I, yeah, I just, exactly. I just can't help that. Like Marvel is the ultimate example of disposable interchangeable content that is completely optional. Right. Um, I, I just don't know. I mean, but it seems like that's what the world wants. That's what the market wants. So, yeah. So there's, there's something about it. I think, I think uh, for me, myself, I need to try to find balance with that for, for my own life, either come mm -hmm. to terms with it or change something, change something of the way that I'm consuming things or I'm creating things to be consumed. Uh, and I think it's something to think about. It's not something that I have an, an answer for right now. Um, I think one of the things that I've tried to do in my personal life is that I've made a rule for myself especially since I'm like traveling a lot and I, and I have very finite space in my luggage and stuff like that is that I will not buy anything unless I love it. Right. So I won't buy something that I like. I won't buy something that I kind of like. I, I only can buy it if I love it. Right. And um, I think that we can maybe apply that to how we, how we live a lot of our life. Mm -hmm. um, where a lot of the stuff in our life is essentially fluff, right? And we're, we want to get to a point where we can cut out a lot of that fluff. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, I, I might be uh, speaking for everybody here. Um, and this may not be true for everybody, but I think that a lot of the fluff, it doesn't really add stuff to people's lives. Mm -hmm. So trying, trying to cut those aspects out and and focus on things that are more meaningful, things that are more lasting. Uh, that's something that I would like to see change in at least the Western perspective, where things aren't just disposable. You know, you buy a pair of shoes that are that is meant to be well-made and you want these shoes to last for, you know, two, three years instead of having a pair of shoes that you're going to wear for three months and throw away. Yeah, I think that's what the what the minimalism movement is about. I've heard about this. I don't practice it, but you know, it's about having just two pairs of jeans, two pairs of shoes or one pair of shoes and just loving that and just I mean, obviously don't smell or anything, but like just just uh -huh. try to try to launder your clothing, right? But just being happy with less items and maybe throwing out stuff and I like the philosophy you have, which is like, love it or leave it. Right. Like don't, don't just settle for some mediocre item. Right. And maybe you could apply this to content creation too. Like don't ever, or maybe like send signals to the platform. Like, unless I absolutely love this thing, then don't reward the creator. And this way, maybe that in a perverse way incentivizes creators, creators to deliver masterpieces, but of course, then then that's the challenge in itself is like most people are not that brilliant, right? So you can yeah. think of a masterclass and, you know, 99 out of 100 people won't be able to deliver that. Um, 
Because I mean, the reality is that any one of these, uh, it's these are all economies, right? And like, it's dependent on having people at all levels participating. Like, it needs you in Twitch, uh, and it also needs the person who's who's gonna try and stream for one person. And like, it's pretty sad, but like, you kind of need those people. You kind of need yeah. those people so that you can trample them beneath your boots or whatever. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. to say, but like you're we're all participating in this in this game right yep every every single platform everything is built off of uh people right people yeah or the are, long tail yeah yeah you know the long tail people people are the foundation of everything and so it kind of goes back to this uh sort of thing where it's like we can't get away from you know constantly just thinking about people other people what do people think about us like what should we think about people what do people want like what do we want <laughs> and it's just it's just, it's this eternal struggle yeah. that that carries over to content creation because a lot of content creation, a lot of content, it, it is a, uh, it is very human and for humans, right? So, yeah, I think this is a good, <laughs> this is a good place to, uh, you know, a good place to to sort of uh, call it a call it a session, I think. So, uh, let's do the, uh, the 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 plugs. I mean, what's the best place for people to find you on? on the internet or the social or wherever it is you want to be found. Yeah. So you can basically find me everywhere at death C death S I E. And if you're interested in my, my main platform, it is uh, the fast fashion streaming uh, platform of Twitch. That'll be twitch.tv slash death And I'm on there a lot. I think one of the things that I do enjoy is I do enjoy just hanging out with people and like chatting like we are here today. Um, while we're trying to break formats, exploring how to play better, how to find certain strategies that, uh, that other people aren't even aware of. So, um, yeah, in that sense, I find fulfillment in, in my role at the moment, but, uh, you know, who knows what that future is going to be, what it's going to look like. Um, I hope that it will change and I'm hoping that, uh, that we can all change as well. Hey man, you gotta be the change, right? You gotta spearhead the change uh, incrementally, one day at a time. And uh, man, I just gotta say, I really love catching up with you today. I think it was like really, I love these episodes, man, where we're just not talking about magic. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I just love it. You know, that's 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 just that's just what I'm about, and I'm just totally leaning into it. And thank you so much, man. This is this has been really great. I hope somebody listening to this will get some. Well, be inspired, check out your stream, but also get some new ideas because uh, it's in some ways it is kind of depressing to talk about this stuff, but in other ways it's uplifting. So therein lies the great paradox of thinking about your life, right? So um, for sure, Desi, thank and you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, James. And uh, one last point I would like to end on as well is I think that that's kind of the beauty of what Magic the Gathering is for me and a lot of people is that magic is the game, but a lot of times the ways that we interact with magic are anything but the game, right? So it's like people, people's vision of magic, what, what is magic to them is their EDH group, you know? It's going to be the first time that they uh, went to an FNM with their son or their daughter. Uh, I think that the sort of putting the humanity into humans of magic, I think that we are we are essentially there. We are here because of magic, but it's so much more than that. Yes. 
it's the connective tissue. And I'm really glad to have known you through magic, even though, uh, you know, you're a million times uh, more well-practiced in magic than I am at this point, but it's, it's all, it's all love, man. It's all love. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at humansofmagic, and you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.